Amen. How many is glad to be in his house tonight? I do not take an opportunity to speak to God's people lightly. I'm very thankful. I'm honored to be entrusted to speak to you tonight behind this sacred desk. I'm going to be reading out of 1 Samuel chapter 10, and we're just going to read the first verse. 1 Samuel chapter 10 says, Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, It is not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance. When thou art departed from me today, then thou shalt find two men by Rachel's sepulcher in the border of Benjamin of Zielza. And they shall say unto thee, The asses which thou wentest to seek are found, and lo, thy father hath left the care of the asses and sorroweth for you, saying, What shall I do for my son? In verse 3 it says, Then shalt thou go on forward from thence, and thou shalt come to the plain of Tabor. And there shall meet the three men going up to God in Bethel. One carrying three kids, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a bottle of wine. And they will salute thee and give thee two loaves of bread, which thou shalt receive of their hands. After thou shalt come to the hill of God, where is the garrison of the Philistines, and it shall come to pass when thou art thither to the city, thou shalt meet a company of prophets going down from a high place with a psaltery and a tabret and a pipe and a harp before them, and they shall prophesy. In verse 6, and it says, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. And let it be, when these signs are come unto thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee. So in 1 Samuel chapter 10, we look in to the anointing of Saul, the very first king over Israel. There's very specific instructions given by the prophet Samuel. And from this day, Saul is now anointed and he has the favor of God on his life. I would like to preach to you tonight for just a few moments on forsaken favor. Forsaken favor. Let's pray.
Dear Lord, we come before you tonight. God, I come to ask you to guide me. Lord, to be sensitive to your spirit that I might speak what you would have me to speak to your people tonight. God, I don't want to be out of your will. Lord, but I want to be in your perfect will each and every time I open my mouth. Lord, help me to preach what you'd have me to preach tonight that it can touch somebody's heart, that it can, t- that it can root into the church. God, I pray that you lead and guide me. Lord, and open our hearts that we might receive it, that we leave not the same way that we came in, God, but with a new understanding. It was something changed about us. In your precious holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Before Saul, there was no king over Israel. Israel was led by God. Israel followed the Spirit of God wherever he would go. The Bible says that there was a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. And wherever that pillar went, the children of Israel, they followed. And Israel was not satisfied with with this relationship with God. So they began to inquire of the prophet Samuel for a king. And Samuel, he... He tries to convince them otherwise. He tells them they don't need a king. And God doesn't want to give them a king. But Israel is not satisfied with with following these pillars day and night. Israel wants a king. They want a man to look up to. And in spite of the will of God, God grants Israel's wish. And they place a man in the Bible, you can read it, talks about what Saul looked like. He had the looks of a leader. He was a tall, upright man, much bigger than everybody else. He looked like a leader. And this was the first man that was chosen to be king over Israel. And when we read about Saul, we can see that that Saul does good for the first two years of his reign. And Saul leads God's people, and he follows God, and he listens to Samuel. And Samuel leads and, and helps Saul along. And the favor of God is upon Saul's life. How many is thankful for favor of God? The favor of God. I cannot get up here and speak to you without the favor of God on my life. If I was speaking out of my flesh, then I would mess this thing up. But it's because of God's favor. It's because of God's anointing that I can even get up here and speak to you. And we look into this this very first king, and everybody's holding their breath, waiting to see how Saul leads Israel. And for the first two years, Saul does very well. And you can read about it in 1 Samuel. 
And then Saul, he begins to think that he no longer needs the leadership and the guidance of Samuel. Saul falls into this trap that he can do it on his own. And we read in 1 Samuel 13, in verse 9, it says, And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. If you know anything about Jewish customs, that offering was sacred to the priest. You had to have a man of God perform that offering. The Bible actually says if any other performs that offering, that it's a stink in the nostrils of God. When a priest offers that offering, it's a sweet savor, but when when somebody that's unclean and somebody that's unfit to offer that offering offers it, it's a stench in the nostrils of God. And we continue to read in 1 Samuel 13 and and verse 10, and it says, And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering, the burnt offering, it says, Behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. See, Saul thought he was doing something good. So he offers this offering out of custom, out of line. He takes it into his own hands. And in verse 11, and Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered themselves together Micmash. Therefore I said, said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal. And I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself therefore and offered a burnt offering. So Saul didn't trust what, what God had in store, so Because God was taking too long, because Saul knows so well, he makes this this offering to the Lord, thinking that he still has favor, but he crossed the line that, that he didn't realize that he crossed. And he even says, I have not made supplication unto the Lord, I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said unto Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established the kingdom upon Israel forever. But now, now pay attention, catch this. But now thy kingdom shall not Continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. Where have we heard that before? When we look into the life of David, that's one of the statements that's made about David. David was a man after God's own heart. 
So right here, Samuel's talking about how Saul is going to be replaced with David. And sure enough, that happens later on. It says, And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. We have to be very careful with taking matters into our own hands. We have to be very careful with how we handle certain situations. We are a chosen people. But I propose to you tonight that you can waste that. You might have God's favor right now, but there's a few decisions that you can make and you would lose God's favor from your life. We need God's favor in our life. And many times we see kings. King Hezekiah was another one. Had the favor of the Lord. And when he was told that he was going to die, to prepare, he was going to die. He tried to take matters into his own hands, and the Lord granted his, his request. But when it, when it came down to it for him to, to die, Hezekiah just loses control. The only reason that we can be composed is by the guidance of God. The only reason that we can even pretend that we have it all together is because of the favor and the guidance of God. If you don't believe me, take a look at our world right now. Our world is grasping at straws just trying to figure out what truth is. And they don't even realize that it's already been revealed to them. They have an opportunity to, to, to seek after truth, but, but they want it done their way. See, without the favor of God, without God, we are nothing. We destroy our own lives without God. See, we destroy, we destroy marriages without God. We destroy families without God. We break hearts without God. Everything that we do has to involve God. Each and every place that we go, we have to be led of God. We let people down without God. We fail our pastors without God. We're in financial ruins without God. Because everything good comes from God. And without Him, we have nothing to go on. We have no map on how to get through life. We have nothing. Without God, we have nothing. Without the favor of God, we have nothing. Shame on us if we think that we can do it any better than God. We need Him each and every day. If it wasn't for Him, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. If it wasn't for Him, we wouldn't be breathing right now. If it wasn't for Him, we wouldn't be healthy right now. If it wasn't for Him, we wouldn't be able to pay our bills. If it wasn't for Him, we wouldn't have families. We wouldn't have children. We wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for God. We have to be very careful not to, to squander the favor of God because it's very easy to do. When you begin to think that you can take things into your own hands, that's when you squander the favor of God. 
When you look up the definition of favor, we find out that favor is another another word for approval. So, if we don't have God's approval, we have no favor from God. And as his people, I think that our lives should be dedicated to getting approval from God. Our lives should be dedicated to getting approval from God. I propose to you that there's, there's other ways to lose the favor of God. There can be even things that, that happen within the church, within the leadership. Maybe not even the leadership, maybe just the saints. How many understand that you can, you can go along thinking that you're, you have God's favor, but really you're creating more problems than, than what anybody can shake a stick at? You can go around and you can form little groups and you can be exclusive to God's people. And do you think God is pleased in that? God is not pleased when we, when we shun people within our own church. We have to be very careful because there's a trap that, that's very easy to fall in. We think because we've received grace and mercy that we can look down our nose at people and that's not the case. We didn't receive grace and mercy to look down our nose at people, but we received grace and mercy from God so that we can be a witness to other people. We were given this gift so that we can witness to other people, if God can do it for me, he can do it for you. We have to be very careful that we don't let that go to our head. We're saved and the rest of the world is dying, but we are no better than the rest of the world. We have just found grace. The difference between us and the rest of the world is we've come to repentance. Thank God for the favor that he places on our lives. But God forbid that we squander it. We cannot have the mentality that we're any better than anybody else. We might dress different, we might talk different, we might act different, but we are no better than anybody else. We have to be examples. We are the image of Christ. There's a stigma, and it's sad to say, that the church carries as being holier than thou or being hypocrites. There's a guy at work, and I, we talk about this all the time, and, and he says, I don't go to church because everybody that goes to church, they're hypocrites. And humanity gets in the way. But that's no license to live one way 
when you're in church and live a different way when you're out of church. We have the greatest thing in the world with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost leads and guides us each and every day of our life. And if he doesn't, I think you should check your salvation. The Holy Ghost is the greatest thing since life's bread. The Holy Ghost should lead and guide us. And God's anointing should always be held in reverence. I don't ever want to get to a place where I think it's my ability because it's not my ability. It's the anointing of God. You can be talented or you can even, you can be bad at what, whatever God has called you to do, but with his anointing. See, it's because of his anointing. It's his favor on your life. You might be terrified to speak in front of people. But if God's anointing is on your life, then when you get behind the pulpit and you begin to speak, you'll begin to reach lives. Because of God's anointing, it's nothing, it's nothing that anybody ever does. The pastor, it's not, it's not the pastor's ability. That's not what draws people here. It's the anointing. If we ever lose the anointing, we're in trouble. Because we can't do this on our own. The singers, if they ever lose their anointing, then they're in trouble. If Sunday school teachers lose their anointing, they're in trouble. It doesn't matter if you're the best orator in the world. If you lose your anointing, that's when you can't reach anybody. When I was in Bible college, there was people that got up and they they get an opportunity to speak in chapel. Some of them been preaching ever since they're a little bitty. Been speaking in front of people ever since they're a little bitty. Flawless orators. But not touch as many people as somebody that, that gets up there and, and they can't hardly flow and and, and they when they get something going it, it just kind of falls apart. It, it's kind of awkward to sit through, but 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 when you see the sincerity and you see you see the anointing on their life, they reach people. It's nothing that we do. It's nothing that we do. We have to have God's favor. See, when you lose God's favor, you just begin to spiral out of control. You begin to just grab at things and, and spew things out that, that you may or may not mean, and, and, and you just you lose yourself when you lose God's favor. I want to take your attention to the book of Jonah. I'm going to start in chapter 1 and verse 1. 
says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So Jonah, you know what Jonah does? He gets up and he, he flees the opposite direction. And the Bible says that he flees unto Tarshish. And we all know, we all know the story of Jonah, what happens when, when he gets on the boat to go to Tarshish. There's a storm. A storm arises and, and they think that the boat's going to sink. So Jonah, he jumps overboard. The storm goes away. The Bible says that a great fish swallows Jonah. And we all know the story. We, we've heard it ever since Sunday school. And when that fish spits Jonah out on the shore, Jonah still, still doesn't want to go to Nineveh. The reason Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh is because those people don't look like Jonah. Those people are pagan people. Those people are people that, that you would consider less than desirable. Thank you. Those people, Jonah has no interest in being around at all. But nevertheless, Jonah goes. The Bible talks about when Jonah begins to start speaking to, to Nineveh. The Bible says that there's a 120,000 soul revival in Nineveh. And the Bible goes as far as even saying that the king of Nineveh falls from his throne and rents his clothes and repents. And repents. A pagan king repents to the one true God. We fast forward and we go into chapter 4. And there's a conversation going on between Jonah and God. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord... Was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentance thee of the evil. And it says, Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Well, I just told you that Nineveh had 120,000 soul revival, even, even all the way up to the king. The king fell off of his throne and rent his clothes, and he repented to God. What, what, now, what is, what is Jonah, why is Jonah so upset? And Jonah tells him, 
I knew. He's, he's speaking to God. I knew that thou art gracious and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and repentance. Thee of the evil. So Jonah's angry at God for saving Nineveh. It doesn't make any sense. The whole reason that that Jonah went was so that that would happen. But Jonah wanted so bad for God not to save those people that he tells God, Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's so upset that God saves Nineveh that that he tells God, just take my life. It's better for me to die than it is for me to live. Because you showed mercy to those people. God forbid that we ever get to that point. This church should welcome people in with open arms. We don't have to uphold them in their sin. But we should welcome every person that wants to come through the doors with open arms. God forbid that we ever have the mentality that Jonah had with Nineveh. And God had favor on Jonah. Jonah was one of God's prophets. And it upset Jonah so bad that that it didn't go the way that Jonah wanted it to go. He wanted all those pagans to go to hell. But God stepped in and said, no, those are my people. And when Jonah goes and begins to speak to them, and, and they were, and the people in Nineveh were, they were rotten to the core, but, but God uses Jonah to go in and, and save an entire country. And Jonah's upset about it. Jonah's upset that God saves these people, these dirty, mangy people. They're not worthy of what I have. God forbid that we ever have that attitude. Verse 4 says, Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. And there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. It says, and the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die. and said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God says this to Jonah and God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do. Well to be angry even unto death. So God says, why, why are you still holding on to this? 
What, is, what good is this doing for you? And Jonah has this attitude even, even after all that he's been through, after all that he's seen, even after God uses him for something miraculous, Jonah still has this, this opinion. He says, I do well to be angry, even unto death. So he says, I don't care what you have to say, God. I'm going to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein there are more than... than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right and their left hand and also made much cattle. So God, he tells Jonah, how could I let an entire city perish? Yeah, they don't look like you. A matter of fact, they're so confused, they can't tell the difference between their right hand and their left hand. But I'm not going to let them perish. And I think that there's, there's a danger for the church to, to get an attitude like Jonah's down in them. Nobody will ever come out and say that. But I believe that there, there is a danger in that attitude coming into the church, that mindset coming into the church. You can think that you're so much better than everybody else, that they're not even worthy of being saved. And squandering that favor that Christ is given so freely. We have to be very careful that we don't ever look down our nose at anybody. And that goes within the church too. A brother can't look down their nose at another brother. You can't form little cliques in the church. You can't form little exclusive groups in the church. If they don't do this, then they're not part of the group. If they don't act this way, they're not part of the group. Shame on anybody that has that mentality. We have to pray that God gets rid of that out of us. Stand with me. Church, right now as we speak, breaking bread has favor with God. The reason that we're blessed is not anything that we do. The pastor could be the best person in the world, but but he can't orchestrate anything if God doesn't allow it. 
The only reason that we have what we have, the people that we have sitting in this place right now, is because of the favor of God. We have to be extremely careful not to squander that favor. You can get to a point and you can do some things that that you lose the favor of God. You know it's possible for, for an entire church to be out of the will of God. I pray that we never get there. But it's possible and we have to keep our guard up. Favor is something so precious that God gives us. And it, it, it's, it's, it's something so, so unique. See, anointing is it, it's a very unique thing. Anointing can be... Anointing does all the work. I'm just the vessel, but anointing does the work. Anointing is what what pricks the hearts of man to, to bring them to repentance. It's not anything that I could say. It's not anything that I can do in my own self. But, but if I have no anointing from Christ, if I have no, no favor from him, I could speak to you till I'm blue in the face and nothing is going to be done in your life. And the pastor, he can, he can preach to you every Sunday and every Tuesday, but, but if there's no anointing there, if there's no favor there, then there's nothing that can be changed in your life. There's nothing the pastor can say or he could do without the anointing. The church has no power without its anointing. We have to be a spirit-led people. We have to be very cautious of the enemy's traps. We have to be very cautious of man's ideas because man's ideas are corrupt. But when we follow the Spirit of God, when we follow the anointing of God, that's where the power is. I pray that we never lose the anointing. We have to make sure that our that our egos stay in check. Because an ego can can cause you to fall faster than anything else. When you think that that you don't need God anymore because you can do it by yourself, that will cause you to fall faster than anything else. Church, I pray for anointing and favor from Christ on the entire church, not just the leadership. I think that the whole church needs anointing because when we brush shoulders with strangers out on the streets, they should see something different in us. And when we have an attitude about us that that says, I'm better than you, there's no anointing there. There's carnality there. An apostolic church should be the most welcome place that you ever go to. Don't don't mistake 
kindness for acceptance. How many knows we can't accept sin? And we don't, and we don't preach against sin and, and we don't preach against ideas that, that the rest of the world accepts to hurt anybody's feelings. That's the farthest thing from the truth. But we preach against sin and we, we preach against man's ideas because the love of God is so strong. How could you say that you love somebody and never tell them that they're wrong and that what they're doing is going to send them to hell? You claim that you love somebody, but you'll accept them and all they're wrong. That's not love. Love is saying, I love you so much. Listen to me. What you're doing is going to take you to a place that you don't want to be. Oh, hear me. What you're doing will take your soul to hell. That is not hate. That is not cruel. That is not mean. That is not anything the world labels us as. That is love. That is love in its purest form. Christ never one time upheld anybody in anything wrong that they were doing. But he also never looked down his nose at them either. We have to figure out how to love. But we also have to figure out how to correct. The Bible says that that his word is sharper than any two-edged sword. See, you can cut somebody to pieces with Scripture. You can cut somebody to pieces with Scripture. But you're using Scripture in a wrong way. Scripture is not to cut somebody into pieces. Scripture is to just trim away what what God doesn't like. Scripture should be used to, to just shape and to mold us. These altars are open. Church, we can't ever get to a place where we think that we've got this thing figured out because we have no idea. Without God, we have nothing. Without God, we cannot stand here. Without God, we cannot pay our bills. Without God, we cannot do anything. Without God, we can't even take our next breath. Don't you ever think that you can do this thing without God because you are sadly mistaken if you think that you can do this without God because you need God each and every step in your life. Every day I need God. Every day that I wake up, I need God. I wish somebody would just play that over in their mind. I need God. I need God. I need God. There's nothing that I can do. I need God. If I do this by myself, I fail. I need God. I need God in my life. I need God in my marriage. I need God in my family. I need God in my finances. I need God in my job. I need God everywhere that I go. These altars are open. Church, don't ever let your ego take away your favor with God. Don't be like Saul and don't be like Jonah. 
You can't do this on your own. You will fail on your own. The reason that we even come to church is because we need a refreshing all the time. We have to come into this place and this place is our refuge. This place is the safe place for the church. This place is the strong tower that the Bible talks about. We need the church. We need each other. Don't let egos, don't let humanity come in between that because we need each and every person that's sitting in this room right now. We need God. We need a prayer life. We need Him. Above all, we need the favor of God on our lives. This altar is open. Church, above anything else, it's real simple. I've said it 500 times just in this message. You you need God. You need everything that God has to offer. You need His favor. You need His grace. You need His mercy. You need His long-suffering. You need everything that God has to offer. Without it, we're nothing. Without it, our lives are pointless. Without God, we can't even take our next step. I pray that we never ever, ever get to a place where we forsake favor. We can't forsake favor. 